Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And my guest today is, again, my husband. We we do this together from time to time, and I always love having him here because he's got a great radio voice. I actually didn't know that till I heard him talk on the radio the first time. The voice behind the voice. <laughs> Anyway, we are going to do something that we did before. We had a story time, and we're going to do story time part two today and kind of just continue on the journey of the hat that saved my life. And I wanted to say that uh, breast friends around the globe, there are people listening live right now that we know. So if you're a Facebook user and you want to join breast friends around the globe or share it with your friends, uh, you'll be able to immediately connect with the program today. Or use that link to go back and listen to f- the previous programs. But uh, it's kind of fun to have live listeners. So if you can join us, great. Yeah, you could even call in if you wanted to. So that's always kind of fun, too. But anyway, um, so before we get started on reading part two, I think you wanted me to talk about something. Well, you or- usually open with an inspirational moment. And what could be more inspirational than the news you have to share with your listeners and people who have been praying for you for months if not years about your um, battle with cancer and hopefully uh, you can share some good news right now great news I can thank you so look for those of you who have been following me in you know I battled breast cancer since 1996 and I'm in my fifth battle right now and it was in October of 2018 that I was re-diagnosed again and this time though the cancer had spread from my breast into my lungs and then in March of this year, it went from my lungs to my liver and my bones. And so it's kind of been just a slow, steady growth over this last year and a half of just, so now it's in a pretty tough, pretty tough way. And every time we start something new, my, we, my doctor monitors it for a while. And if it ever stops working, he takes me off of it immediately and we try something new. And I wanted to share this this part of the story with you because, you know, we talk a lot about hope, and I am a firm believer in hope. And, you know, if you don't have hope, you really don't have anything. And you just never know what is going to come your way that's going to change the whole story. You know, whether you just lost a job and the next time the phone rings, it's somebody calling you with a job offer. You just don't know, but we can sometimes let ourselves get really down in the dumps while we're waiting for, for some little bit of good news. Well, last about last month, I started on a new drug because everything else had been kind of not working as well as we'd hoped, right? And so about a month ago, I started on another new drug. And this time I wasn't sure because this one is rather than a targeted therapy, this is just flat out chemo. I've had I've had it before in 2004. I was on this drug. It's called Taxol. And I didn't know if it would really work, but my doctor said it really is a, a good, solid um, drug to use. But I'd been kind of not wanting to because I didn't like the experience the first time. But he convinced me, and so I went ahead and gave it a try. And so that was a month ago. And we've been measuring my tumor markers, three of them, over this last 
quite a while now. And it looks a bit like the stock market, except it's been just kind of steadily going up, 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 up. Mm. And it's not not supposed to do that. The norm is much lower than where it's been. Well, a month ago when I started this new drug, it was at, at pretty much an all-time high on the markers, which, you know, again, not a good thing. I went in last week for my... Um, to have my tumor markers tested again, <clears throat> and this time they had taken a sudden and huge dive down, which is good because they're getting closer to being back to normal again. I saw the results of these tumor markers, and what's interesting is if any listener in normal health were to go in and take the same blood tests that Becky took and look at their tumor markers, their results would re- approach what hers are now. So that shows you how far she's come in the right direction. In a month. In one month. Yeah. And then the other thing is I have a tumor that's on the on my side that I could actually feel through my um, through my rib cage. You could just, you know, you could feel it there. And my doctor felt it and, and he confirmed that he was pretty sure it was a tumor. And it's been growing steadily and it's been kind of painful. And all of a sudden in this last month, it started shrinking and I can't feel it now at all so I'm going in pretty soon for a scan and we'll see because if that one that I can feel is shrinking then maybe the ones I can't feel that are inside my liver my lungs and my bones are also shrinking and you know I just I just want to share this with you because Mm -hmm. that made me cry I was one of those moments you just you know, I just know that, that God is watching over all of this, and my doctor is great, and he made the right decision with the right drug, but God is the ultimate healer, and um, I really believe he's got me firmly in his hands, and I want to thank all the people that have been praying for me on a regular basis, you know, day and night. I, I know so many that have been doing that, and I just want to thank all of you for the part that you played in getting God's attention on all of this <laughs> and um, and just helping me see a, a much better and much more positive outcome lately. Before we start reading, I, I would love for you to share, because we've had many, many friends who have prayed for us that you've answered and thanked for their prayers, um, the importance of hope when yeah. you get into the situation we were in 45 days ago, 30 days ago, things were not hopeful in a worldly sense, and yet people hope against all those kinds of bad indicators sometimes, and look at what has happened in the last 30 days. Yeah, it's and hope is hope is everything. And what's really funny, I, want, I always listen to the episodes after we air them, after we record them on Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and I go back and listen after they go um, out to the podcast land, and it was it was interesting because last week, um, I did the show, and then I had my appointment after that, which is when all this new information came out. But when I went back and listened to that episode, my voice sounded less hoarse, and I sounded stronger, and I had a lot, I had more energy. So something was going on there already, and and then to get that news that it was that it's changing, you know, I'm just I'm just thankful, and I I I want to share this with you all because. Many of you are probably in a situation right now, and you may be one of them, you know, whoever you are listening to me, you may be one of them that just got bad news and things aren't going well, but don't give up. Keep trying. If the doctors are willing to keep trying new medications, keep trying because you just don't know it's going to be that next one that could be the one that changes everything. So don't give up hope. 
just don't give up hope because you just you just don't know. And I say that you do know that um, prayer works. Yeah. I, I would say we've, we're so thankful for people who have prayed. And there's many people that we know right now who are going through cancer mm-hmm. and other difficult situations. And so I think it's really important for everyone, everyone, no matter where you're coming from and your faith perspective, to search your heart and find a way to communicate with things outside of yourself that involve hope and mm-hmm. faith and trust and believe that there can be responses above and beyond what the world can offer. And we're seeing evidence of that right now. We're happy to share it with you. And I'm happy my wife <laughs> is happier because of the results she's receiving. So thank you all Except for your Except my hair's falling out. <laughs> uh, bald is beautiful. Bald is beautiful. <laughs> we do have a program at Breast Friends called Bald is Beautiful, where we have a makeup artist that comes in. And soon in you'll and, be eligible. And I will be very soon. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to assist here shortly because I it's getting pretty darn thick at this point but anyway you're you're very beautiful with your beautiful eyes thank you sweetheart so we are going to go ahead and pick up my story and my book the hat that saved my life we'll pick it up where we left off and for those of you who don't know where we left off we are in the in the the beginning of chapter one actually about halfway through chapter one it's called the discovery and i had just come home from finding out that i probably had breast cancer and i poured myself a glass of wine was on the counter another glass and then of I wine. poured myself another glass of wine <laughs> so anyway that's where we left it the last line that I read to you on what date was that June 17th was uh, when our neighbor said bad news because he saw the bottle of wine and the mammograms he said bad news I said I believe so I responded and poured myself another glass so here's where we are going to pick it up Slightly hungover, (laughs) I woke up the next morning, got cleaned up, and left for the doctor's office. I didn't know what was going to happen, and unlike my usual rush, I was in no hurry to find out. My husband and I made the 20-minute drive to the clinic in total silence. He probably had the radio on, but I was oblivious Mm -hmm. to everything around me. We finally arrived, and I checked in with the receptionist, sitting, waiting for the doctor, patiently this time. The nurse finally called me back to the examining room. My eyes became watery, and I cried softly as I walked behind her. Again, I stripped from the waist up and waited for the doctor to come in. I had not met him before. Changing doctors is difficult even in the best of times. During my many pregnancies, I had changed doctors three times due to relocation, and once again because my doctor retired just as I became pregnant with our fifth child. This was not the best of times. In fact, it couldn't be much worse. The doctor I had become comfortable with was not here. The nurse practitioner that had so firmly persuaded me to have the mammogram was not here, and this would be somebody completely new to me. When he finally walked in a few minutes later, I broke into tears. I don't remember him being particularly sympathetic. Without hesitation, he started talking about a needle biopsy. I didn't even know what it was, but I knew anything involving a needle couldn't be good. I decided that he must do this procedure frequently, as a few tears from a hysterical woman didn't seem to soften him. What do you think about that, Bill? <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't worked, in the room. It works on you. <laughs> if I was in the room, I would have fainted. I've seen the needles. Not to frighten those of you that need to go through a needle biopsy. Yeah, they're not fun, but it is necessary. So I reclined on the gurney, and he swabbed my right breast with a bright orange antiseptic ointment, and without much conversation, pulled a large needle out of its wrapper. He explained that he was attempting to deaden the area so I wouldn't feel the next step. 
A few minutes later, he pulled an even larger needle from its wrapper and inserted it into my breast where the other needle had been. With this step, he began the biopsy. He put the needle into the center of the mass and withdrew fluid and tissue from the lump. As the needle entered, he felt my body tense. He told me to relax. (laughs) I remember thinking, hey, buddy, let me stab you with a sharp Mm -hmm. metal object and see if you can relax. I was hopeful that his attempt to deaden the area had worked. It did. I felt very little pain, but my fear increased by the second. As the needle remained in my breast, I tried to think of other things. I imagined my life as it was just a few days before. I thought about the people I would miss and wondered if they would miss me. I wondered if anyone would attend my funeral. Finally free to get dressed, I made my way to the receptionist's desk and asked her what would happen next. She told me the tissue and fluid sample would be sent to a pathology lab for diagnosis. I asked her, when will you know the results? Hopefully the results will be back tomorrow, she responded. This was good news because that meant I wouldn't have to wait through the weekend to find out that this was only a horrible dream. Friday morning finally came after a long and sleepless night. I called the doctor's office several times that day to see if the report was back. The entire day came and went with no results. The in- oh, I started to read that same line again. <laughs> so it happens, chemo brain. I was extremely distraught by the end of the day. I don't like loose ends, and this was going to ruin my weekend. I knew that soon I would be alone. The event my husband had planned for that weekend with the neighbors was to go to Promise Keepers in Seattle. Promise Keepers is a Christian-based convention for men only. It would be held at the Kingdom in Seattle. Its purpose is to gather men together to bring them close to God, to pray for their families, and receive guidance in their role as husband and father. There is some controversy around the fairness, the male-only aspect of the group, but I had no problem with it at all. He offered to stay home with me, but I selfishly told him no. I wanted him to go. After all, where else could he go to be with 65,000 men, all of them praying for their families? I knew I'd get a mega dose of prayer if he went. Our neighbor arrived at the house later that day. Bill was packed and ready to go when he arrived. I remember the look on Bill's face as he was getting ready to leave. Are you sure you want me to go? Because I'll stay with you if you want, Bill said. I should read that line. Okay, go ahead, read it. Are you sure you want me to go? Because I'll stay with you if you want, my love, my dear, my precious. (laughs) Do you see why I hang with this guy? 40 years of marriage. Okay, of course I want you to go. You've been planning this for some time. Besides, I need your prayers. I was quick to respond. Okay, that's the end of chapter one, finally. Yay! <laughs> I feel like we've accomplished something. We are in chapter two now. This, um, we, You know what's very hopeful about all this and the good news is, with your recovery, we'll be able to finish this book. I think we will. All right, let's go. Okay, so chapter two is called Alone. That evening, with the house empty, the loneliness began to settle in. My husband was in Seattle. My kids were at their friends' houses. I had not told them anything yet. Walking upstairs to my bedroom, I put on the only clothing that brought me comfort, my red and blue plaid flannel pajamas. I considered going to bed, but I knew I wouldn't sleep. My mind would soon be filled with all the what-ifs the minute I set my head against the pillow. I decided instead to go back downstairs and watch television. I wandered into the empty family room, grabbed a blanket off the back of the sofa, the remote control off the table next to my husband's favorite spot, and curled up on the couch. I flipped the stations repeatedly, looking for something, anything, 
to replace the thoughts in my head. Nothing that night would be able to enter in and clear away the feeling of loneliness. I thought about turning off the television and setting down the remote, but my arms and hands could not respond. I've heard of people having near-death experiences, but I thought you had to be nearly dead for that to happen. Nevertheless, I was having one now. I knew that my body was still physically intact and sitting motionless on the sofa, but I wasn't in it. I couldn't feel my legs, my arms, or my hands. I stared endlessly at the television. The sound was on, but I didn't hear anything on the airwaves. Later, when the feeling came back to my limbs, I got off the couch and made my way slowly up the stairs to my bedroom. I slowly crawled into bed. I lay in bed for the longest time, thinking about things that I so often took for granted. For the first time in my life, I wondered what would happen to my family if I weren't around anymore. I wondered if they'd live long enough to cook one more Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm going to segue here a little bit into our daughter in Boston. Mm. Last year for Thanksgiving, the entire family made the jaunt to Boston. They all hooked up an Airbnb and... Or in a hotel, I can't remember. But anyway, we all we were all there for Thanksgiving dinner, and it was it was phenomenal. What a logistical challenge! Because <laughs> we have five children and their significant others and grandchildren. It was beautiful. It was it was beautiful, and our our daughter has has embraced some of our traditional menu items, and she made a beautiful beautiful Thanksgiving dinner. So thank you, Elizabeth. I wanted to just thank you once again for doing that, and I want to thank all the children, Tanya, Joshua, Beth, Elijah, Micah, for making the effort to pull Thanksgiving and together. And all those last near year. and dear to them. And I want to thank the three wild turkeys <laughs> that walked down the street in front of Beth's. Brownstone Home in downtown South Boston on Thanksgiving Day. How brave, how bold, how interesting to see wild turkeys in downtown South Boston. Yeah, that was crazy. So we are actually at break time. I have, see, our our engineer, Aaron, who we love, always gives me the warning when we're out of time up against a break. And I don't know how long it said, 30 seconds. It could have been a while now, but... I think we're okay. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and go on out to break. So stay tuned. We'll pick this up on the other side of Thanksgiving. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. Before we continue reading, I want to share that there are four ways to be involved in. Breast Friends radio program. One is to share the link to the program. However you're listening to it, whether you're listening to us live or you're listening to us on some podcast, in, because it's on, on most of the podcast platforms, but however you're listening to it, share that link with your friends. Let them know about it so that more people will listen. We do have listeners in all 50 states and at this time, 113 countries, which is very exciting. And this is how we continue to grow our program. So do that. That's one way to get involved. Another way is to donate via text. We have uh, text messaging available. You go to, you text to 41444, the word BF radio stands for breast friends radio and that'll take you to a link where you can make a donation we don't charge our guests to be on our show we don't charge for subscription service to listen to our show but we certainly have costs to pay for our show so if you'd like to help us and keep that going text the word bf radio to 41444 and make your donation online and, and I've just invited some people from Belgium to join Breast Friends oh, around the globe. Good. And the Belgians can then invite people from the nations around them. Perfect. Belgians surrounded by nations. Perfect. And that was number three, join Breast Friends around the globe on Facebook. It is mm-hmm. actually a group on Facebook. But if you search for Breast Friends around the globe, pull it up, uh, ask to join. You do have to ask to join, and we do approve it pretty quick. As soon as I see them, I approve it. So do that, and then you can actually follow along there. You can make comments. You can talk about things that you liked about the show, you know, and, and also tell us where you're from so we all know. And then um, the fourth thing, finally, is to nominate yourself to be a guest on my show. I'm always looking for people that have an educational message or an inspirational story anything that will warm the hearts of a cancer patient and help them just learn a little bit more about about cancer and what it's like. So um, do that. Nominate yourself. We'll have a little conversation. If it feels like it's a good topic for my audience, we'll schedule a time to record you live, and then it'll get pushed out to the podcast world. So those are the four ways that you can you can help us out. So Then people will be pod people. Then they'll be pod people, yes. <laughs> Okay, there you go. All right, so we're going to pick up our story. We were just talking about our daughter having Thanksgiving dinner, and the last line that I read to you was, I wondered if I'd live long enough to cook one more Thanksgiving dinner, and I really did. Even on my first time out in 1996, I wondered that. So Thanksgiving has always been the one holiday in our family that no one argued about as to where they would go for dinner. Everyone came to my house every year. I cooked a giant turkey as big as I could find, I'd do it all, the yams with brown sugar, fresh homemade cranberry sauce, green beans, pumpkin pie, whipped cream, sometimes from scratch, and I always let Bill peel the potatoes and mash them. It was his job. 
And, and I tested the pumpkin pie. Yeah, one time I sent him back to Costco <laughs> to mm. buy another one because he cut into it a couple of days early. <laughs> he swore he would never, ever, ever do that again. <laughs> anyway, so he's uh, he's mashing the potatoes. That was his job. I never told him about all the little pogies, the little brown spots that dig into the potatoes, only visible when you peel them, that I would cut out when he was done. Never mm. told him about those. I wondered who would do it for him if I wasn't here. Dinner was not complete without my favorite stuffing recipe. Every year, I added my grandfather's secret ingredient, pine nuts, to the dressing. Every year, it all but disappeared on the first night, barely any stuffing left over. Every Thanksgiving, I thought about Papu, my grandfather. That Papu is Greek for grandfather, for those who don't know. My grandfather. I would remember when I was young, he would tell me I better do something or he'd take his belt to me. I also remember the smile in his eyes as he said it. He would never take a belt to anyone, especially his grandchildren. He was an old, cranky Italian teddy bear. I missed him every Thanksgiving, and I missed him a lot that night. Who would feed my thanks, my family on Thanksgiving if I were no longer on this earth? Question. Okay. So if he's Greek, why is he an Italian he's, teddy bear? He was Italian. My grandmother was Greek. Okay. Thank okay. you. My mother was half and half. <laughs> My dad's full-blooded Greek, though. Well, so we think, but we're not sure. Could be Turkish, too. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so who would feed my family on Thanksgiving if I were no longer on this earth? I wondered if I would live long enough to hang the kids' Christmas stockings one more time. Our kids were old enough to ask or to question Santa's existence, but they were smart enough not to talk about it. <laughs> they knew I believed, and besides, they liked waking up on Christmas morning to all the little surprises stuffed into their stockings. By Santa Claus. By Santa Claus, yes. I wondered if I'd see my five children, ages 11 to 23, graduate from high school or see them get married and become parents. I began to miss grandchildren that hadn't even been imagined yet. After several hours of thinking, my brain hurt. My heart felt heavy like a water balloon. It was pounding in my chest, and I felt like it was ready to explode. Sometime later, unable to get the rest I needed so badly, I got out of bed and walked to the full-length mirror attached to my sliding closet door. The mirror was always failed to capture the essence of who I really was. I've learned over the years that if I sucked in my stomach and held myself just right in front of it, I could remove five pounds. If I held my head up just right... I could eliminate my double chin. So even though it was easily fooled, the mirror had always been my friend. Only a friend can love you in spite of your flaws and make you think you're beautiful at the same time. But after today, the mirror would no longer be my friend. It would show me all the things I didn't want to see. I stood in front of the mirror, lifted my shirt, and tried to imagine myself with one breast. That was difficult. I was a pretty well-endowed woman, one benefit of being robust, as I described in Chapter 1. I turned from side to side, and no matter which angle I looked at, one breast would either be ugly or gone. No matter how I held myself or positioned my shoulders, I could not replace the breast that would be removed. I couldn't trick anyone into thinking that my breasts were ever going to be the same again. I hated the fact that this mirror would never lie to me again. Again, I cried and went back to bed. I must have finally drifted off to sleep because the rest of the night came and went without my knowledge. Dot, dot, dot. Yes, that means it's not a new chapter, it's just a new segment of the same chapter. (laughs) After a very long, lonely, and sad weekend, I honestly thought I would never hear or feel joy again. Then my children came home. 
When they entered the house, they brought all the noise and joy that only children can bring. They had no idea yet of the changes we were about to experience. It was so difficult to look at their beautiful beautiful faces and try to respond to their questions. What's for dinner, Beth would ask. Where are my shoes, asked Elijah. Can't find my backpack, Micah said. I was quite proud of the acting job I did. My success at putting on a happy face and pretending that nothing was wrong covered the ache in my gut and the break in my heart. I needed my husband. I longed to hug him. I could hug my kids. I often did, but for some reason I was worried that they'd pick up on something and ask the question I dreaded most. Is everything okay? I knew I couldn't lie to them, so I tried to keep my distance. Bill finally arrived home sometime later. I was never so happy to see him. He walked in the door and wrapped his big, strong arms around me and pulled me close. He simply held me. Words were unnecessary. Later that night, we talked for what seemed like hours. We discussed how we would tell our children. We decided that we would wait for a final diagnosis before telling them. Anything, I thought. Why worry them if it's not serious? We only had to wait another day or two, so we decided we could wait. We went to bed that night wondering what Monday would bring. We are on to Chapter 3 now. Chapter 3 is called The Diagnosis. Do you want to read? I would like to read. Okay. After a very fitful night, Monday finally arrived. With the kids out the door for school, me, that's Bill, at work, uh, Becky was alone again. But this time it was a good thing. With no one around, she could finally leave her smiling face behind and just be herself. She was allowed to simply feel what she was feeling without having to cover anything. You know, I have to I have to compliment you. He's reading this now that was written in first person. He's reading it in third person. I'm transposing. Yes. I'm a good transposer. And you're doing it. Some people just say I'm a poser. Um, At 10 a.m., she called the doctor's office to see if the result of her biopsy was available. She nearly turned blue, holding her breath while the nurse pulled her chart. Becky came back to the phone. No, the nurse came back to the phone. phone. Oops, I messed up. Your turn. You can read. (laughs) She came back to the phone and said, let me get Rosie for you. I was certain that because she wouldn't tell me anything and pass me off to the nurse, the news was not good. A couple of minutes later, Rosie came to the phone and said the test was back. I'm sorry, she said. The result is inconclusive. That's no fun. No, it was terrible. Inconclusive, I railed back at her. What does that mean? What that meant was that after waiting an entire weekend, anxious, scared, and incredibly sad, the tissue sample was not good enough to make a diagnosis. It also meant I had to do it all over again. However, this time, it wouldn't be a simple needle biopsy in the doctor's office. I knew that it would be going into the hospital for a tissue biopsy, which is the removal of the lump, and that the tissue would be sent to the pathologist for another report, which meant another long wait. I was heart sick. This meant holding off even longer to tell my children and even longer to know if I would live. You know, I'm going to interject here. This is not in the book, but, you know, it, it is a true statement that more women survive breast cancer than ever before. And back in 1996, it was already moving that direction. But we still lose too many women to breast cancer. And when you're first diagnosed, you don't know which group you're going to be in. Are you going to be in the group that survives or doesn't survive? You don't know. So it's a very frightening time for a woman with this diagnosis. And so I just want, I remember feeling that, am I going to live or die? I really didn't know. So I wanted to just add that. I'd probably say it in here and I'll be reading it again here in a moment. (laughs) But I wanted to just add that because 
we do, you don't know, and it's very scary no matter what. You hear the word cancer, and everything else just sort of disappears. So anyway, um, okay, let's see, where was I? Oh, as I said earlier, I don't wait well, so we scheduled the biopsy for later that same week. My first doctor, the one who did the needle biopsy, was not available, so they scheduled me with yet another doctor. The surgery would be in two days. I can handle two days, I thought. I don't remember much about the next two days, but finally the big day came. I got dressed and Bill drove me to the hospital. I told Bill that I would try not to think too much about it. It seemed that I often made mountains out of molehills, and this was just, after all, another molehill. I would simply get get this over with and not dwell on something that would probably turn out to be okay anyway. My lips were moving as the words came out of my mouth, but my heart did not believe it. We drove to the hospital in total silence with me trying not to think about it, an impossible task. My thoughts were dark. The questions of death rolled around in my head. What if I don't make it? Am I right with God? Will my husband find a new love interest? If so, how long will he wait? (laughs) Will she look like me or be completely opposite? Will she love my children? Will they love her back? Will I be missed? Now, these are things she said out loud. <laughs> and I, I'm recalling right now, if I'm correct, she had a specific name for the woman that would come and replace her. And was it Brandy? You know, I honestly don't remember if it was Brandy. I think it was because it was you remember Brandy the song? Or Brittany. I think it was Brandy because remember that song, Brandy? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I remember okay. that song. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might have been. So yeah, I had her. I already had her picked out. Good she, wife. I knew she'd be twenty-two. Be. She'd be blonde, and she would be completely look different than me. <laughs> had her all figured out. And she had out. a song named after. Her. Yeah, and she had a song named after her. So okay, where was I? Arriving. Will they love her back? Will I be missed? Yes. Arriving at the hospital, feeling bona fide crazy by then, we parked near the entrance. Now that was something you were carrying around with you for years before this. Was it? Bonafide crazy, yeah. Oh, stop. Yeah, I was carrying you around. <laughs> well, you married me. It had to be bonafide crazy to marry me. True. Still, without much conversations, I opened the door and slid out. Bill and I walked arm in arm through the front door of the hospital, but I was mad at him for replacing me so quickly. <laughs> bonafide crazy. Yeah. There you go. The receptionist checked me in, placed the little plastic bracelet on my wrist, and called for an escort to the surgical ward. I undressed and put on the same type of goofy-looking gown I wore during the mammogram. The surgical nurse came into the room to check on me. She spent the next few minutes prepping me, poking me, and finally she asked me if I needed anything before they knocked me out. I told her I wanted to meet my doctor, because remember, I have now another doctor. And, you know, so here was another one. I hadn't even met him yet. We were new to each other, and I wanted to see him. But more importantly, I wanted him to know the person he was about to slice open. I didn't want to just be another diseased breast to him. I also wanted to confirm that he knew which side to cut into, (laughs) (laughs) which would be very important, right? Mm. Earlier, I had considered making labels and attaching them to each boob, one that said, not this one, and the other would say, yes, but make it pretty. With all the anxiety of the day, I forgot to do it. I waited on the gurney outside the operating room, silently praying when Dr. Wolf approached. He felt his, I felt his presence even before I saw him. I opened my eyes and looked straight at him. His eyes were gently focused on me. He walked the last two feet towards me, tall, slender, with dark hair and sparkling blue eyes. Okay, I have to say something here. I wrote this in here, and I even refer to him later as Dr. Blue Eyes. Then I went and saw him to give him his copy of the book. He does not have blue eyes. Well... <laughs> 
That day he did. That day he did. They were just twinkling, I guess. And what a great doctor he was. Not yep. just uh, well-respected, but right. uh, just a tremendous doctor. He had a smile on his face, easily detected under his green surgical mask. I suddenly became very aware of the drab blue hospital gown that hid my body and the makeup that remained in their bottles on my bathroom counter. I was embarrassed by my appearance, but when I saw the compassion in his bright blue eyes, Mm -hmm. again, not blue, I knew I was in good hands. He took hold of my hand and asked, how are you feeling? Scared, I said. I understand, he responded, but we'll take very very good care of you, I promise. He held my hand the entire time we spoke. He told me that the next time I, w- I would see him would be when I woke up in the recovery room. The hospital pastor came in next to say a prayer with me, and a few minutes later, I was out cold. I must have still been groggy on the drive home because I don't remember any of it. Can I read you the next part? Yes. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Thank you. That's a perfect part. I knew it would take a couple of days to get the report, and for those two days, my life was surreal. I was somewhere between planning my future and planning my funeral. I tried so hard to pretend nothing was wrong. If my kids needed something, I did my best to help them as I normally would. But a part of me was trying to teach them to do it themselves in case I wasn't around much longer. They learned how to do the laundry, how to make macaroni and cheese from a box, and how to get the recycling ready for Monday morning. I probably scared the hell out of them. My poor kids must have thought I was tired of raising them because it appeared I was getting ready to move out of their, move them out onto their own. And my oldest had just turned 15. It's time to go. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Finally, the wait was over. Two days later, I received the phone call I had been waiting for. They wanted to see me in person. I knew my life was about to change forever, one way or the other. Either I was cancer-free but had enough of a shock to change my life, or I had cancer. They don't usually call you and make you come in to tell you the news is good. So I was certain that it was the latter. I just didn't know how bad it was. The image of the alien haunted me. Though it was no longer inside of me, but was lying at the bottom of some scientist petri dish, I wondered just how much damage it had done before they exorcised it. I called my friend Sharon to tell her the report was in and I was heading to the doctor's office. Sharon was a breast cancer survivor and understood exactly what I was going through. She had gone through the same thing three years earlier. We're going to pause now and go out to commercial break. So stay tuned. We will be back with you in a moment. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We are continuing with Storytime Part 2 with my husband, Bill Olson. So I had, we are in Chapter 3 at the moment, and I had just read, I um, was talking with Sharon. She had gone through the same thing three years earlier, and she said, do you want me to go with you? Now, I should have stopped reading after that line, so all the way through the commercial, people could be wondering, I wonder if she went with her. Hmm, we don't know. Well, anyway, let me tell you what happened next. So Sharon said, do you want me to go with you? No, I said, you're busy, and I don't want you to feel like you have to go with me. I'm sure I can handle it alone. How's that for a whiny answer? (laughs) Anyway, um, don't be ridiculous, she said. Sharon was the first among our circle of friends to be diagnosed with breast cancer. Sadly, I did to her what so many people do. I was there for her in the beginning, but eventually said to her, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. I meant it, and when I went back to my busy life, Oh, and then I went back to my busy life waiting for her to call. She never did. She spent much of her recovery time alone. She was determined not to do the same to me. I told her she didn't have to go with me, but inside I was screaming for support. Sharon knows me well. I was thrilled when she insisted that I let her come with me. As the time grew closer to leave for my appointment, I changed out of my bathrobe, my new best friend, and pulled on my sweatpants and a t-shirt a far cry from the navy blue pantsuit that I loved. Sharon arrived a few minutes later, and we left in her car for the hospital. I don't remember much about the ride. I do recall staring out the window, but the only thing I remember seeing were the raindrops clinging to the glass, trying not to slide down that slippery surface. I became the rain, clinging to the glass, holding onto it as if my life depended on it. My world no longer existed outside that surface. A storm was building, and my world was closing in on me. Dot, dot, dot. <coughs> Excuse thank, me. Thank you, for, you know, for doing the dots for me. It's one of the skills I've developed over the years. I want folks to know how important it was for Sharon to be your friend at mm-hmm. that time. She understood what you were going through and had some empathy that perhaps others might not have. And you'll learn later on that this friendship grew into an organization called Breast Friends, which does this for women around the country and potentially around the world now with breast friends around the globe. In other words, making yourself available when you've had an experience like this to just listen and be a part of someone's life when they're going through these mm-hmm. traumatic moments of diagnosis. And I don't think I could have been Sharon for you. No way. I don't think so either. And I don't mean that in any kind of a derogatory sense. You know, when you've been through something like this, you have a level of compassion about it. Even if you don't have the answers, you know what that feeling is that that person is experiencing. And 
even though she didn't have the answers, she didn't know exactly what was going to you know, come about with all this, she she knew that that loneliness would be devastating. And for your me. friendship has endured over all, all these, these years, years yeah. through many, 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 many heartbreaks of other women coming to this point in their life. Yeah, that's true. And you've done great work with her. So congratulations on a great friendship. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Sharon. Sharon. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> okay, so where you said you finished. I said dot, 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 dot. Okay, we finally arrived at the doctor's office. We pulled into the dark gray, cold parking structure, and Sharon turned off the ignition. We sat quietly in the car. It seemed an eternity, yet Sharon honored my silence. She knew that what was going on in my, she knew what was going on in my head. I'm never silent. By nature, I'm chatty. I'm also Italian and Greek, which explains why I talk with my hands. My hands weren't moving either. Why me, God, I asked silently. After a few minutes of silence in the parking garage, I put my hand on the door handle, took a deep breath, and we both opened our doors and got out. Sharon came around to my side and put her arm around me as we walked into the clinic. The elevator ride to the ninth floor was the longest elevator ride I've ever taken. We stopped on every floor to let people off or on or to take on new passengers. For the first time in my life, the long ride was welcome. Dr. Wolf's office was at the far end of the hall. As I stopped off the elevator and made the left turn to start the long walk, Tears welled up in my eyes. Sharon saw them and hugged me tighter. Finally, after what seemed like the longest walk in history, we entered his office. Sharon escorted me to a chair and told me to have a seat while she checked me in. A few minutes later, Bill arrived and took a seat by my side. He looked worried. He had tears in his eyes. He put his strong, loving arms around me and held my head close to his chest. I lost it right then. I started sobbing. He pulled a hanky out of his sleeve, just like he did on our wedding day. We waited for what seemed an eternity. Might have been the same hanky. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we ever washed it? I Ooh. don't know. The second time it was used, I guess. <laughs> Finally, the nurse, Rosie, called my name, and the three of us got up together. I didn't even have to ask if it was okay for them to accompany me. Rosie knew. She escorted all of us to a private waiting room just off the doctor's personal office. It was a pretty room with pale pink walls, teal carpeting, and a soft pastel sofa and matching chair. A floral centerpiece adorned the glass top table. On another day, this room might have provided me with the comfort it was designed for. Rosie said it would be a little while before the doctor would be in, but she wanted us to have some privacy. Rosie, I asked, could you possibly give me some idea of what to expect? I know you're anxious, but I really can't. The doctor will be in soon, she replied softly and closed the door quietly behind her. We waited forever in that room. I became more and more anxious as the brief ray of sunshine that gleamed through the window slowly disappeared. Mm -hmm. The hanky was soaked. Bill handed me a box of Kleenex. I took several sheets and twisted them, tore them, and destroyed piece after piece. I made quite a pile. I finally lost all my composure and told Sharon I really needed to see that report. She and Bill tried to calm me, but Sharon relented, got up out of her chair, and slowly opened the door. Looking in both directions, she spotted Rosie. She left the room briefly, closing the door behind her. I don't know what Sharon said to her during that brief time in the hallway, but a few minutes later, Rosie came into the room with a manila folder. She casually laid it on the table in front of me and left. I stared at the file, but I refused to to touch it. It was as if the file itself had cancer, and touching it would somehow cause the cancer to rub off on me. A couple minutes later, Sharon picked up the file and slowly opened it as if unwrapping a very fragile gift. 
She poured over the report and began to read portions to me. As she read, a light blanket of fog was forming around me. She continued reading, and the light fog became thick, dark storm clouds. Everything tightened in around me. Words like aggressive and invasive jumped off the page, wrapping themselves around my brain like a python, squeezing as hard as it could. I held onto Bill's hand as hard as I could. His hand turned blue, but he didn't care. I had nearly stage three breast cancer. This was not good. There are only four stages, but unlike the Olympics, lower is better when it comes to a cancer diagnosis. I had lymph node involvement and there was cancer on the edge of the lump, which means when they remove the lump for the biopsy, they may have left some cancer cells behind. I knew I was going to die. I wondered again if anyone would come to my funeral. Just then, Dr. Blue Eyes came into the room. He saw my face and handed me another box of tissue. You know, you people listening right now may be the only people in the whole world that know. I called him Blue Eyes and his eyes are not blue. (laughs) Might be the only ones that know that. Um, He saw my face and handed me another box of tissue. Sitting down on a chair facing me, he picked up the report that Sharon had replaced on the table. What he said next blew me back to reality. The bad news is you have breast cancer. The good news is you have garden variety breast cancer, meaning it is the most treatable and curable form we know of, he said. He went on to tell me that although it was advanced, it was a good thing we found it when we did. He kept talking, but all I heard were the magic words, garden variety. I was sure that garden variety was a good thing. Does this mean that I can perhaps survive this, I asked rhetorically. The cancer only invaded one lymph node out of 16 tested. I dread to think what would have happened had they checked only 15 nodes and missed the one that was diseased. Perhaps they would have misdiagnosed me and wouldn't, would not have taken it as seriously as they did. Even though the nasty little cancer cells had started to crawl through my body, none of them had found their way to my vital organs, at least not yet. Suddenly, there was a tiny break in the storm clouds. I think I have time to read all of Chapter 4, but if not, that's okay, we'll stop and... Aaron, our engineer, will keep me honest. And Bill, you're going to keep your eye on the screen, right? I will watch the screen like (laughs) an eagle. Because we can't go over on this third time around. Oh, he just gave me the five-minute warning. Okay, that's good. All right. So this is Chapter 4, The Decision. I had some big decisions to make, fast. Unfortunately, fast is tough considering there are no easy answers when it comes to treatment options. Friends, God bless them, are filled with compassion and advice but are sometimes as easily misled as the patient. Every magazine and newspaper article spouts a different cure. Every television and supermarket tabloid tabloid would have you tromping all over the world in search of that cure. The internet is loaded with intentions, but not all are good and many are not fact based. Every case is different. Every cancer responds differently to treatment. If you have a friend that has had breast cancer, you can't expect that your treatment will be just like hers. You also need the energy and presence of mind to deal with it. I remember very little about the next few days. I do, however, recall being torn between raging fear and total depression. Regardless of my emotional state, I didn't have time to sit back and wait for the right decision to come to me. I had to go find it. I began my search for the answer with Sharon. She received her diagnosis three years earlier and had decided on mastectomy with reconstruction. I talked to her at length about what it was and how she felt it impacted her appearance. I asked her everything I could think of except, can I see it? 
It's funny. That's what everybody, everybody wants to see it, but no, nobody's brave enough to ask if they can. When, it's, when we seemed to come to the end of the conversation, she knew because of the look on my face that I still needed more information. She asked, would you like to see it? I said, can I really? I asked without any hesitation. We went up to my bedroom. I closed the curtains as she unbuttoned her blouse and unhooked her bra. I waited, somewhat embarrassed but anxious. I'd never asked to see a woman's breasts before. I expected to see scars and uneven unevenness. I expected to see a hideous monster. To my surprise, everything looked normal, and I could only see the tiniest of scarring along the surgical line. Her breasts were perky like a 20-year-old. They looked better than mine had in years, and we were close to the same age. Yes, indeed, mastectomy with reconstruction was one option that would make me look like Sharon. My cloud began to lift. My second option was one I had heard one I heard about many years before. A friend of mine with breast cancer had a surgical procedure called a tram flap. The doctor took fat, skin, and muscle from her abdomen and created a new breast. Wow, imagine that, getting a tummy tuck and new breasts all at once, and even better yet, having it paid for by my insurance company. What a great concept. The sun was shining, and I was ready. Dot, dot. Don't forget your part. Thank you. Okay, I'm not sure how much more. We only have a couple minutes left. So I think actually I'm going to stop it right here Um, because I I wanted, you know, I wanted to share. A lot of people think that if you get this, quote, tummy tuck and the new breast, that that's a great thing. And And physically it looks better than other options. But I do want to share something about that because I don't think this is talked about often enough. When you get this procedure done, and then there's also a newer version of that same concept, and it's called a deep flap. And that's where they microsurgically remove the, the tissue around your tummy and microsurgically attach it to a new blood supply up above. The problem is they don't reconnect the nerve endings. And so while you've got these breasts that maybe look better than they might have otherwise, you can't feel them. There's no sensation in them. And it, it isn't the same thing. So when you talk to a friend who's had this procedure, um, don't be overjoyed for them. Like, wow, you're getting a free tummy tuck. It's it's not like that. So just be sensitive and be aware. It is We do lose something in that process. So Billy, thank you so much. I call him Billy. Thank you so much for reading with me today. We're going to pick up part three on another day. I don't know when that will be yet. But I want to thank you for reading with me and adding the dots. I am most happy to be here, and more importantly, I'm thankful for all the people that have been praying for you. I'm most happy that you're here with us. Wonderful. Well, on that, we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.